0: Well, good morning. Uh, we are very happy to be here with you this morning, and I want to start by saying thank you. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for praying for us. Um, it has made such a difference, the things that we are doing with Pioneer Bible Translators. When I say we, I mean all of us. Um, you guys are a part of the Vidunda and Query Bible translations being nearly complete. We are seven books away from the end. And uh, just this last week, um, just this last week, uh, I was filling out the, the last grant application for our projects. We have to fill out grant applications every three years is how we fund all the national translators that we work with. Um, and so this was kind of uh, punctuating the, the end of our projects. Um, and then we'll look to new horizons. Uh, there's a lot that I'd like to tell you about uh, during the discipleship hour about how we're finishing and what's coming next and all the various things that we are involved with. Uh, so if you'd like to know more, uh, please come. And uh, also we have a display um, just outside in the, in the foyer. And uh, if you'd like to hear from us regularly, we send a monthly newsletter. If you're somebody who prays for us, it would be great to get that newsletter because we're very intentional about putting our prayer requests in there every month. So, um, again, thank you for your support and thank you for praying. Um, two years ago, um, we returned from Tanzania to the United States uh, because we were expecting twins. And our twins, Jaira and Anna, came 14 weeks early. Uh, I know a lot of you were praying for us through that. They were two pounds and the other was one pound, 13 ounces. And uh, they are running amok in your nursery right now. Very <laughs> vibrant, very healthy. Uh, we thank God for that and we thank you for your prayers. So. Um, We're going to start out this morning by reading and remembering the time when Jesus walked on the water, and also Peter walked on the water for a moment. So that's found in Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to read verses 25 to 31. So that's Matthew 14, and we're reading verses 25 to 31. One of my favorite passages, and also one uh, where the mystery just stays with me. Now, what did it really look like? What really happened there? Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the lake, they were terrified, terrified, It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now, what do you think about how I just read this, especially right there at the end? Did something seem off to you? I hope so. I hope something seemed a tad off. Uh, As a Bible translator, I've learned that sometimes the words on the page don't seem like enough. Here, I wanna know more. I wanna know more about what happened there. We're given a lot of information through the scriptures. I think we're given the right things, the things the things that God intended for us to receive, but we're not told everything here. And then without meaning or intending to, when we read the story, when we picture it in our minds, we fill in those gaps with what we think might have happened. Uh, Me personally, I I really enjoy listening to audiobooks. We spend a lot of time traveling in the car, on a plane. Um, I really like audiobooks. And I really especially like it when the author reads his or her own book. Because when the author's reading it, you know that the tonation, uh, the intonation, it's spot on. It's right as the author had intended it. And it's like you're getting this whole other layer of information that you don't normally have if you're reading it on your own or even if there's another narrator who's reading it. If you're into fiction books, sometimes you can get one where the narrator is just fantastic. He can do all different kinds of voices, and it brings you a lot more into the story. So there's extra information there. In the intonation, you can almost imagine the expressions on their face. Now, in this passage, we're not told Jesus' tone of voice. We're not told the expressions of His face. But these things can make such a big difference when we are uh, interpreting a passage. And for most of my life, when I read this story of Jesus walking on the water and then Peter walking, I heard Jesus in that same scolding tone. You of little faith, why did you doubt? Kind of like Uncle Frank in Home Alone, do you remember that movie? I mean, I'm dating myself a little bit, um, but uh, it was a good movie. And our kids, we, we rewatched it this last Christmas season. They liked it too. The little kid, Kevin, he barges into the room and it ends up knocking over a cup of milk onto their plane tickets because they were about to take a trip. And Uncle Frank, it's not a very nice guy. And uh, he looks at him with disdain and says, look what you did, you little jerk. Do you remember that line? I mean, it was really mean. Sometimes, I think this is what we expect God to sound like. But here recently, for this passage, I've begun to think differently. What if Jesus' tone was different? What if it were friendly, endearing, congratulatory? Let's try it again. Let's just try it with a different tone of voice. You have little faith, why did you doubt? When you say it like that, it's almost as if he was saying, you were so close. Why did you doubt? It can feel like a challenge to read it that way because it has the words in it, little faith and doubt. Of course, those aren't positive words, right? And I'm not about twisting the Scriptures, but... There's some information we don't have. This deserves our attention. There are some details in the passage that would help support a reading that sounds more friendly. When Jesus says, you of little faith, this is a phrase he uses several times in the book of Matthew. And here he's actually writing an adjective as a noun. All right, now, first off, the grammar lesson is over. I'm not going to get into a lot of the technical weeds with it. But he is using it like a nickname. It's like he's saying, hey, little faith guy. And every time you see the phrase in your Bible, you of little faith, it is a single word, a noun in the Greek. Hey, little faith guy or little faither. It's just one word. With that in mind, let's try to imagine it even again. You, little faither, why'd you doubt? Could you imagine them saying it like that? Now, it's still possible to use nicknames in a stern or mean way, and I encourage you to look up all the times that that phrase happens. One time, unmistakably, it is not nice, okay? But there are some other times where I really think context would show us that uh, it's, it's, not, it's not meant in a, in a mean way. Overall, I think this opens the possibilities for our interpretation. I remember when Anna pulled herself up to the standing position for the first time. She's one of our two-year-olds. And when she pulled herself up, she was looking mighty proud of herself, right? And I said to her, oh, you think you're big stuff now, huh? We were both smiling at each other. Clearly, I was proud of her. But just think, if you were to read a transcript of that time and my words out of context, oh, you think you're big stuff now, huh? Well, I might sound a lot like a jerk, right? A lot changes in tone of voice. When we look at this passage as a whole when we look at all of the context clues that we have, I think it makes more sense to read it with a friendly tone. Peter asks Jesus to do something boldly in faith when the rest of the disciples were terrified in that boat, thinking that Jesus was a ghost. Jesus had just finished telling them not to be afraid. And then Peter gets on the water, and he actually does it. For a moment, he is walking on water. But then what happens? Doubt enters his heart. I mean, do you think he had time to make a conscious decision to doubt? That doesn't seem likely. To me, it seems like a reaction. And I think it's the same reaction that all of us would have had. I certainly would have had. Have you ever walked on water before? What do you think it would be like if you took your first steps out of, and there's wind coming at you? How is your heart going to react? I think my heart would have reacted the same way. So he cries out for help. And when he does, Jesus immediately, and here's where the text is specific, he immediately grabs him and helps. That's the second time we see the word immediately. Jesus immediately calmed their fears by saying, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And then he immediately comes to the aid of sinking Peter. So with that context in mind, how likely is Jesus to follow that up with, well, you screwed that up, you idiot. I don't think that's what he would have done. If he did, how likely is Peter to try that kind of thing again? Or what about any of the rest of the disciples who were there in the boat, terrified? Now, personally, I would have shriveled up inside at a harsh rebuke at trying something out new like that. But Peter might have been different. Some people really respond well to a swift kick in the rear And Peter might have been somebody like that. Another time Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So I would expect the God of the universe to know what motivates his children and be able to respond to them accordingly. But I picked this passage as an example to show how big of a difference tone can make in our reading of Scripture. And we need to ask ourselves what. Jesus would have sounded like. What does a good father sound like? What does a friend sound like? And then we give Jesus the benefit of the doubt when he says something that sounds shocking because it's been translated from another time and culture. So when he says, oh, you of little faith, that sounds one way in English, and English translators don't have an easy job with that because, you know, you little faither," that doesn't sound right. I mean, that's just not an easy phrase to translate. So how did he really sound when he said it? When we read Scripture, we bring a lot of our own preconceptions, our own baggage, our worldview, and we do it without realizing it. If we expect God to sound and behave like an angry dad... We will subconsciously imagine that nuance into every verse that we read. Let's take a look at one other passage where Jesus used that little faith term. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 28 to 30, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 28 to 30. Jesus is saying to the crowds, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, you little faithers? Oh, you of little faith. How do you think he sounded this time? He is giving a sermon to a crowd. He's in the middle of reassuring his audience that God is going to take care of them. His goal is to get them to trust God's good will toward them. He's going to provide for them. Their worth is more than birds and flowers to their heavenly Father. So oh you of little faith, I think, I think endearing here. That's what he's talking about. Now, I, I don't want you to misunderstand me because I don't think that Jesus went around smiling and laughing 100% of the time. We have passages that we can point to where Jesus is very upset and should be, but he was human. He was completely human and completely God. He presumably felt all of the emotions that we feel. He expressed many of them, and so there are times where he's angry, just not here, and so much of the time, the emotional information isn't supplied to us in our reading, so we need to think about it. And we shouldn't just take our mind's first impression on what he sounded and looked like. And this matters a lot. It really matters because we are not reading alone. If you're doing your quiet time by yourself early in the morning, you've got a cup of coffee or hot cocoa or however you do it, tea, you're still not alone. God has given us His Holy Spirit and put Him inside of us. And then also we have a spiritual enemy who wants to stay concealed and is suggesting to us that our Heavenly Father isn't good. He started in the garden, and the essence of the lie he told to Eve is that God's command not to eat from that tree was intended to keep something good from her. Satan was implying that God didn't really love her because he was keeping something good from her. He continues to say that lie in numerous different forms to us today. So what am I getting at here? Not just that we should be wary of Satan's influence because it's not my goal to make you afraid, right? But I'm suggesting we need the Holy Spirit's help to read the Bible, to know who Jesus really is. And that's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. He would remind us of and magnify Jesus. So this is my challenge, not just to change your mind about Jesus walking on the water and Peter walking on the water and what he sounded like there. But my challenge for you this morning is that the next time you sit down and read his word, you ask for help and then have high expectations that you're going to read the word and the spirit that God sent to live inside of you is going to help you understand it and is going to reveal to you the true character of God. Maybe you're already doing that. Excellent, if so. When we are reading the Scriptures on our own, though, we should ask ourselves who it sounds like. What does the enemy sound like? If he's the one trying to influence my reading, what is that going to sound like? Well, John 10.10 says that Satan is a thief. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy and so when we read Scripture, if Jesus' tone sounds like he wants to tear somebody down, we might be missing Jesus' heart on the matter. We might not have the tone right. In John 8, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. And I've already mentioned the garden once before, but he's always trying to get us to break our trust in God. He wants to make God seem unapproachable. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, uh, also in the book of Job, we see that Satan is an accuser. So if we read Scripture and it makes us feel hopeless and condemned rather than convicted, which are very different things, then it might be that the enemy is tempting you. He's trying to color your view of God. Do you remember... Uh, Scar, he was the villain in The Lion King. Um, We watch a lot of kids' movies in our house, having five, ages 11 and under. Um, uh, the, The last time I saw The Lion King, something really stuck out to me from it. You see, Scar is the brother of the real king, Mufasa, and he schemes to kill his brother, and he implicates the king's son, Simba, in doing that. He sets this little kid up and makes him an accomplice in that terrible crime. Now, after the king is dead, after Mufasa dies, Scar accuses, there's this one scene, it's so terrible, Scar accuses little Simba of killing his own father and then runs him off to leave a life of shame. I thought, wow, is this Is this part of what it looked like maybe in the Garden of Eden? The enemy was there. The one who really wanted to do the tearing down implicated us. We definitely shared in the responsibility. We took the fruit. We ate it, right? We shared in the guilt. And then he tried to heap it all on us and reveled in the tearing us down. That is the character of the enemy. That is his character means, his ends, but it's not our Father who loves us, not the one who gave himself to save us. Now, if the Holy Spirit is helping you read, what will that sound like? In John 15, 26, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would reveal him, Jesus, to the world, and he even calls the Holy Spirit a helper, or some translations go as far to say that he is a comforter, Both of those meanings are in in that uh, Greek word. In John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, he says, the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth, and he's going to glorify Jesus. He's going to make Jesus look good. And then in John chapter 16, verse 8, he said that the Holy Spirit will convict of guilt and righteousness. So the Holy Spirit might, through Scripture, Bring something to your attention. That needs change or correction. But He's going to do it in a way not that makes you feel hopeless or condemned, but in a way that really has the purpose of correcting or restoring. This happened to me, um, not actually through Scripture, but one time that I can remember. um, It's been a a few years ago. It's happened many times, right? It's not uh, just that it happened one time a few years ago. Um, but uh, there was a time a few years back we were driving into the mountains of Tanzania for a family vacation and it's a six-hour drive into the mountains and we just had three daughters at that point in time and by the end of those six hours, we were all at each other's throats. It's tough. They had to be locked into their car seats for a long time and I was yelling. I was yelling a lot. from the driver's seat. It was very helpful, right? Yeah. Um, as that was happening, a song popped into my mind. It had been, it's a song that I'd heard before, but I hadn't heard it for months. It's a song, a, a soft, calming song, uh, almost like a, like a lullaby. It comes from the worship group, the Porter's Gate. I would highly recommend them. And uh, it's really brief, but, but here are the lyrics. Every mother, every father called to raise up sons or daughters. May your heart be patient. May your mind be clear. May our God be with you and calm your fears. It's a great prayer for parents, right? And I think a rather genius way to calm or comfort a dad who, who needs to settle down, right? Yeah. Which didn't make me feel like small and terrible, but instead said, I'm, I'm with you, it's going to be all right. And we were able to calm down. This is one way it can look like when the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction and bringing correction This is who I hope you find as you are reading God's Word for yourself. Ask His help the next time you read. Ask Him to reveal Himself. And I think we'll find every day as we do it again and again, He's always better than we think. An awful lot depends on this. It is important. Because we can know the Bible forwards and backwards and still not know the person or the heart of Jesus There was an entire society of religious leaders in in Jesus' own time who had memorized full books of the Bible, probably had the whole Torah, first five books, committed to memory, and they did not see Him when He came. They did not recognize Him. If we miss it, if we don't think that he wants to help us, then we won't go to him for help. And we certainly wouldn't suggest then to another that he can help. So, um, yeah, let's, let's pray as we wrap up. Heavenly Father, we come before you and uh, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how you reveal yourself to us through your word Thank you um, for giving us your spirit. I pray that you would continue to help and lead and guide us as we study your word, as we look for you. Um, reveal yourself to us that we might know truly how good you are. Please keep revealing your goodness to us. As, as uh, Paul prayed for the Ephesians, um, we ask too that you would... Um, fill us with your spirit and help us grasp the, the dimensions of Christ's love so that we might build, be built up in, into your fullness as, as, as you've planned for it. And we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.